Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. Today we're reading short and deep, Manacled by Stephen Crane. This is first published in the Argosy, August 1900. Um, it might be the Argosy UK. Uh, I can't remember which version of the Argosy I got. There might not have been a Argosy August 1900 from the US. But by this time, uh, Crane had been two months dead. So I don't know if that... I assume it just took a while to come out. But he he was very famous, but well... In terms of famous writers uh, of a, of his period who were contemporary, he was pretty famous, um, and yet he was quite young, 28, I think. Um, I'm not a massive Stephen Crane fan, but I found this in a book called American Gothic: Tales from the Dark Heart of the Country, which has some great stories in it, including uh, one we've done already called um, Desiree's Baby. And uh, it's got other great stories in it. And I, I'm like, well, hey. Desiree's uh, Baby. Isn't Desiree's Baby by Kate Chopin? It is. And we, we did a show on it years ago. I'm sorry. I, I must have misheard you. Yeah, yes, proceed. Um, and, uh, but this is Stephen Crane. Yeah, this is Stephen Crane. I'm just saying this is a great collection of, of stories. Oh, I see. American I Gothic, see. Tales from the Dark yes. Heart of the Country. But it's Gothic stories. And I was thinking... Well, I haven't read a lot of Stephen Crane, so I'll read this one. And I did. Then I went back and found the original um, publication. And uh, it's a horror story. But it's a naturalistic horror story, or at least a non-supernatural horror story, right? Are you, are you, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure what you're asking me to say. It, I, I, uh, I, I'm just trying to figure out... like. Uh, the the re I think the reason I haven't read a lot of Stephen Crane is because he doesn't write science fiction or fantasy or horror, generally. I uh, guess maybe maybe he does write horror and, uh, that like the Red Bat of Courage is a horror story. I just I I know he's got a poem that's really horrific. Um, it's called War is War is Kind, and it basically has all these parts where it says this is what's going to happen to your boyfriend uh and then the boyfriend gets killed and then the, some horses get frightened and get killed and then at the end of every of these stanzas it says war is kind and so it has this very powerful effect um but i think <laughs> i didn't know i don't normally think of him as a horror writer right well i'm i'm I'm, I'm going to stick to just this story, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, and rather than trying to characterize the the man's brief but but storied career, mm. um, I think this is a brilliant story. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a brilliant story because um, maybe I was not incisive enough when I read it the first time, but it seems to me that it can be viewed as two kinds of horror story. Mm. The, on a first reading, it can be viewed as a horrible gothic tale of what happens to the main character. Mm -hmm. And then on the second reading, 
I think it can be viewed as something else. Mm. So, I, and I'm not trying to be more specific here because I'm hoping that people um, who have read it, they'll perhaps know what I'm saying, but those who haven't, I'd like them to have a first reading before I taint it with a second reading. Shall I read it? Yes, please. Manacled by Stephen Crane. In the first act, there had been a farm scene wherein real horses had drunk real water out of real buckets, afterward dragging a real wagon off stage left. The audience was consumed with admiration of this play, and the great Theatre Nouveau rang to its roof with the crowd's plaudits. The second act was now well advanced. The hero, cruelly victimized by his enemies, stood in prison garb, panting with rage, while two brutal warders fastened real handcuffs on his wrists and real anklets on his ankles, and the hovering villain sneered. "'Tis well, Aubrey Pettengill," said the prisoner. "'You have so far succeeded. "'But mark you, there will come a time,' the villain retorted, "'with a cutting allusion to the young lady whom the hero loved. "'Curse you!' cried the hero. "'And he made as if to spring upon his this demon, "'but as the pitying audience saw, "'he could only take steps four inches long.' Drowning the mocking laughter of the villain came cries from both the audience and the people back of the wings. Fire! 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 Throughout the great house resounded the roaring crashes of a throng of human beings moving in terror, and even above this noise could be heard the screams of women more shrill than whistles. The building hummed and shook. It was like a glade which holds some bellowing cataract of the mountains. Most of the people who were killed on the stairs still clutched their playbills in their hands as if they had resolved to save them at all costs. The Theatre Nouveau fronted upon a street which was not of the first importance, especially at night when it only aroused, when the people came to the theatre and aroused again, when they came out to go home on the night of the fire at the time of the scene between the enchained hero and his tormentor. The thoroughfare echoed with only the scraping shovels of some street cleaners who were loading carts with blackened snow and mud. The gleam of lights made the shadowed pavement deeply blue, save where some lay, where lay some yellow plum-like reflection. Suddenly, a policeman came running frantically along the street. He charged upon the firebox on a corner, its red light torched with flame, each of his brass buttons and the municipal shield. He pressed a lever. He had been standing in the entrance of the theater, chatting to the lonely man in the box office. To send an alarm was a matter of seconds. Out of the theater poured the first hundreds of fortunate ones, and some were not altogether fortunate. Women, their bonnets flying, cried out tender names. Men, white as death, scratched and bleeding, looked wildly from face to face. There were displays of horrible blind brutality by the strong. Weaker men clutched and clawed like cats. From the theater itself came the howl of a gale. The policeman's fingers had flashed into instant light, life and action the most perfect counterattack to the fire. He listened for some seconds and presently he heard the thunder of a charging engine. She swept around a corner, her three shining and thrilled horses leaping. Her consort, the hose cart, roared behind her. There were the loud clicks of the steel-shod hooves, hoarse shouts, 
men running the flash of lights while the crevice-like streets resounded with the charges of other engines. At the first cry of fire, the two brutal warders had dropped the arms of the hero and run off the stage with the villain. The hero cried after them angrily, where are you going? Here, Pete, Tom, you've left me chained up, damn you. The body of the theater now resembled a mad surf amid rocks, but the hero did not look at it. He was filled with fury at the stupidity of the two brutal warders in forgetting that they were leaving him manacled. Calling loudly, he hobbled off stage, left taking steps four inches long. Behind the scenes, he heard the hum of flames, smoke filled with sparks, sweeping on spiral courses. Spiral courses rolled thickly upon him. Suddenly, his face turned chalk color beneath his skin of manly bronze for the stage. His voice shrieked, Pete, Tom, damn you, come back. You've left me chained up. He had played in this theater for seven years. And he could find his way without light through the intricate passages which mazed out behind the stage. He knew that it was a long way to the street door. The heat was intense. From time to time, masses of flaming wood sung down from above him. He began to jump. Each jump advanced him about three feet. But the effort soon became heartbreaking. Once he fell and it took time to get up upon his feet again. There were stairs to descend from the top of the flight. He tried to fall feet first. He precipitated himself in a way that would have broken his hip under common conditions, but at every step. It seemed covered with glue, and on almost every one he stuck for a moment. He could not even succeed in falling downstairs. Ultimately, he reached the bottom, windless from the struggle. There were stairs to climb. At the foot of the flight, he lay for an instant with his mouth close to the floor, trying to breathe. Then... He tried to scale this frightful precipice up the face of which many an actress had gone at a canter. Each succeeding step arose eight inches from its fellow. The hero dropped to a seat on the third step and pulled his feet to the second step. From this position, he lifted himself to a seat on the fourth step. He had not gone far in this manner before his frenzy caused him to lose his balance and he rolled to the foot of the flight. After all, He could fall downstairs. He lay there whispering, they all got out, but I, all but I. Beautiful flames flashed above him. Some were crimson, some orange, and here and there were tongues of purple, blue, green. A curiously calm thought came into his head. What a fool I was not to foresee this. I shall have Rogers furnace manacles of paper mache tomorrow. The thunder of the fire lions made the theater have a palsy. Suddenly the hero beat his handcuffs upon the wall, cursing them in a loud wail. Blood started from under his fingernails. Soon he began to bite the hot steel and blood fell from his blistered mouth. He raved like a wolf. Peace came to him again. There were charming effects amid the flames. He felt very cool, delightfully cool. They've left me chained up. Powerful horror story. <laughs> That's it my is. reading on it. Um, and the, uh, the effect is impre- very impressive. It's two and a half pages long. Yeah. Crane 
puts a lot in there. The the visuals and even the the sensations are so vivid. Mm-hmm. Um, here's an interesting fact about this story. Um, apparently, a young woman was staying with him and his common law wife uh, the time he was planning to write this story or writing this story. And it came to him, well, I, I guess the idea came to him in a dream. And then there was this young woman who was staying with him and his wife. Um, and they, he had them bind his ankles and wrists. And then he tried to, you know, go about the house. Um, this is uh, interesting. This seems to be a trend in what I know about Stephen Crane, which is, he writes about his experience. His, I guess, most famous story is the open, an open boat, yeah, which is a story of being adrift after a uh, ship's sunk, right? Um, it might be the Blue Hotel might be equally famous, right? But, yeah. And his most famous novel is the Red Badge of Courage, which is a, which is interesting because it's a book that he he had not actually experienced war. What he did was he read. Uh, the letters and interviewed people who had been in uh, the Civil War. And then in the case of the open boat, he had actually, he was planning to go to Cuba for the invasion of Cuba um, and the ship that he was on sank. So instead of writing about uh, the war in Cuba, he wrote about what happened to him. His technique seems to have been like, if I'm going to write about it, I need to know about it. And uh, I don't know that we can know that he, you know, put himself in a fire and had these last experiences, but he certainly um, gives the sense of how difficult it would be to move around, right? That line right near the beginning, he, the, and the audience, right? Uh, there's this very interesting juxtaposition going on um, that he can move, what, four inches? Yeah. Right, because of the ankle, the ankle manacles. Right, and and then the absurdity, <laughs> the absurdity. Right, his last thoughts, uh, bef- the, other than they chained me up, were, uh, "I shall have Rogers furnished manacles of paper mache tomorrow." Wow. <laughs> I agree. Wow. Um, I think that what you're pointing to is. Uh, Sort of what I meant to to uh, to raise when I talked about first reading. Mm-hmm. Um, if one reads this as a story that somehow magically we can be inside the mind of uh, this fellow, but we can also be outside and see what's going on. But really, it's the story about the guy who's manacled, um, and and what happens to him uh, is horrible. Um, then, then we get this gothic horror. I think that it is something more than that. At least it is for me on a rereading. Uh, let me try to point to some things. Uh, first of all, the writing is subtle, elegant, and powerful. Mm-hmm. In the first act, capital F, capital A, there had been a farm scene. So we have the farm but this is an act, so we're in a theater. So we've got the farm juxtaposed with the city. Mm-hmm. Real horses had drunk real water out of real buckets after we're dragging a real wagon off stage left. Mm-hmm. So right in that first sentence, 
we have a juxtaposition of the real and the pretend. Okay, the pretend is what happens in the theater. Um, the real is we're going to make the theater seem even realer by bringing real stuff into the theater. It's written in the language of the theater. They exit stage left, right? So there's a reminder here of a two different ways of looking at the world as, as the world as it is and pretending that the world might be something else. Mm-hmm. The audience loves to pretend that it's something else. I think it's not a random detail that this new theater, right, Theater Nouveau, mm-hmm. that this new theater is on a not particularly significant street. And it only seems to be crowded when people are going to the theater or from the theater. Mm-hmm. In other words, it could be anywhere. It's not in a theater district. It's not in a downtown. It could be anywhere. And we know that people love the idea of this theater because most of the people who were killed on the stairs still clutched their playbills in their hands as if they had resolved to save them at all costs. What a great detail. Incredible. Incredible. They want, they want the pretend world. They want the real, which this is the opening sentence. They want the real to be shown to have been only pretend mm. because the real, in fact, is the place of fire. We really are manacled. The details are, as you say, extraordinary. When he tries to leave, right, it says, there's a paragraph that begins, there were stairs to descend. Mm -hmm. From the top of this flight, he tried to fall feet first. Now, I don't know how you can fail to fall. And yet, every step seemed covered with glue, and on almost every one, he stuck for a moment. He could not even succeed in falling downstairs. But the very next paragraph begins, instead of there were stairs to descend, there were stairs to climb. Mm -hmm. And just as he can't go down, he can't go up. He's manacled, yes, with steel manacles, but he's manacled against the laws of physics. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? There is a detail here that I found spectacular. He lay there whispering, they all got out but I, Mm. all I, beautiful flames Mm. flashed above him. Now I'm going to start moving here, Jesse, into a consideration of who is really telling this story. Beautiful flames, flames flashed above him. Some were crimson, some were orange. And here and there were tongues of purple, blue, and green. In other words, what we have here is the rainbow, Mm -hmm. but not in the heavens as the covenant that God will no longer ever bring destruction to humanity, but in fire. This is an anti-rainbow, an anti-covenant. This is God looking at the world and seeing the flames that destroy people who would rather have pretense than acknowledge their realities. He calls those flames beautiful. Peace came to him again in the last paragraph. There were charming effects amid flames. Charming to whom? 
not to the hero, not to the protagonist, because he's dead. He's dead. We know when we get the sentence, peace came to him again. These effects are charming to the consciousness that is watching all of this. The consciousness that is watching all of this, I would suggest, is Crane's notion Mm. of a God who has not, in fact, decided that humanity will be able to save itself, but rather that humanity will not be able to save itself. When humanity tries to save itself, even against the fire, the, the policeman runs to the fire alarm box and the fire within it shines off the redness, shines redly off his own badge of municipal authority. It's hell. Mm. It's hell. And we are living here below. We are all manacled. And to see this as an entertainment is really to misunderstand the nature of the human condition. To really think of it as an entertainment, I think, is to be pleased by watching humanity consigned to death. And we all do. Mm-hmm. And for, for a universal consciousness that can see into every individual's mind and every individual's experience, and I would suggest through all of time, um, we are all mortal. Mm. We are manacled by our condition. And the games we play in our new theater, the place that we are born into, the games we play to try to do things better, now we can, we can go off stage left, but we're really going to go off. <laughs> I, I want to make a joke here that I don't know if he's making, but I thought of when you were saying what you just said. Um, for everyone, there's no second act. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Um, exactly. But I want to know. In this one, I think we're told it is the second act. Well, it, right? it second isn't finished. Now that's when it advance, starts, right? right. It, it doesn't. What I want to point out, though, that's so great in the parallel. I mean, he, he sets it up beautifully. Real horses, real water, real buckets, real wagon, right? Yep. And then those things all reappear, right? Um, well, in, absolutely. in the second act of of the fire, right? The policeman's fingers had flashed in instant into instant life and actions, the most perfect counterattack to the fire. He listened for some seconds, and presently he heard the thunder of a charging engine. She swept around the corner, her three shining uh, sorry, is that shining? Yeah, shining enthralled horses. What a weird what a weird description. They're shining. I think think it's enthralled. Oh, enthralled, but shining horses, right? Are they white horses? Silver horses? Horses leaping. Her consort, look at this description. Her consort, the horse cart, roared behind her. There were loud clicks of steel-shod hoofs, hoarse shouts of men running, the flash of lights, while the crevice-like street resounded with the charges of other engines. So... Here come the horses, the real horses. And what are they bringing? Real water, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And That's then the they news. exit stage left because it doesn't help him who's left behind. Yep. Wow. Indeed. And you, you can, I, to, to add further to this notion that on a second reading, 
we can see this as as an allegory rather than um, or in addition to a horror tale. Uh, we're told of our protagonist. He had played in this theater for seven years. Mm-hmm. I mean, seven years, really seven lean years, seven fat years, a full week on the seventh day he rested. I mean, the number seven as a numerological pointer to the notion of completion is everywhere in Western culture. And and here it is. He played in this theater for seven years. This is the end. This is the culmination. His week is over. There were stairs to descend. You get born. There were stairs to climb. You, you, you die and presumably go to heaven. But he could no more descend further from where he was in this uh, universal veil of tears than he could climb out of it on his own because he was just a pretender. I, I love the, this detail, too. Um, and it does speak to the who's who's perceiving what's going on. Suddenly his face turned chalk color beneath his skin of manly bronze for the stage. His right. voice shrieked. Right. So he's, he has a skin color, presumably. We don't know what it is. But for the stage, he has a manly bronze. Why? Well, it's set in the country, this story, right? And, right. And... Uh, What's so important about this is, well, it, his skin wasn't manly bronze naturally because he's an actor. He's, he works at night. <laughs> he sleeps during the day. Right? Um, right. And he lives in the city, which is where actors work. Um, it's, it happens to be night when uh, the, the event happens. So naturally, he is going to have somewhat pasty skin color compared to a country guy he's playing a manly bronze right and here he's he's it's the realism of the play that kills him but there's a, a character in this story and one that's you know juxtaposed to it which is the city itself the city is operating right there's the people fleeing out there's the policeman who was talking with the ticket taker there's the firemen who come there's the other actors these are all components and faceless essentially we know a couple names of uh, tom and the other guy who left them behind but they're components in a city so it seems like everybody's there's no moral failing on anybody's part here right my first reaction to this story is yeah back in those days they really didn't have good fire exits right it's something we worry about now a lot and you know we talk about the the code and why you need to have sprinklers and because this is a serious danger if you live in the city uh you know people have locked doors and locked doors kill people if they can't escape so that isn't, I don't think, what he was going for. I think he was going for the realism of the situation. But I don't think it's silly to look at what actually is happening to this guy from the country in the play. He's being manacled, hand and foot, right? Absolutely. I, I agree completely. I, I think that while there may not be a moral failure here, other than that we all have original sin and we're manacled by being mortal, um, there is a failure. Mm -hmm. 
he says, what a fool I was not to foresee this. When he says that, mm-hmm. you know, for a moment we could think, oh, my God, you, yeah, right, you should have not used, uh, you know, you, you should have understood that this isn't something, to, you can't have those steel, real steel. I mean, things can go wrong, just what you're saying, Jesse, about, you know, barred exits. You mm-hmm. can't get out. You know, What a fool I was not to foresee this. And then he says, I shall have Roger's furnace manacles of paper mache tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You're still being a fool. Yep. You're never going to get to tomorrow. Yep. So while there may not be a moral fault, what this, this story is trying to suggest is that there is a fault of understanding mm-hmm. that human beings don't really recognize the nature of the world that they are captured in. And why are we there? Because we like shows. Mm-hmm. We like shows that look like they've got real stuff. And then there's this other consciousness that also likes shows mm-hmm. and where it's mm-hmm. real stuff. Wow. As I said, read it again, at least for me, and there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.